0: in this week's episode, we'll be covering the coming week from the 24th to the 30th of April. I'm Ezzie Pearson, the magazine's Features Editor, and I'm very glad to be able to welcome back to the show our Reviews Editor, Paul Money. Hello, Paul. Hello, Ezzie. Glad to be back. It's absolutely great to have you back again. Uh, it's been a while. But this week, uh, we're looking up at the night sky. Can you tell us what we have to look forward to?
1: Well, a lot of attention has been in the evening twilight, and that continues because Venus absolutely dominates, doesn't it? I mean, it is so bright. I mean, it's the first thing you're near enough to see as the sky starts to uh, darken. But uh, it's got Mars up there as well, but on the 24th, we've actually got three planetary bodies. Actually, Technically, we ought to say four, because you can see the Earth's horizon. We've got Venus, but we've got the crescent moon as well. It's a rather thick crescent moon, and we've got Mars as well so uh you know and if you've got dark skies it's something i i i haven't i don't really have a good sight for it because my western horizon has lots of buildings and light pollution but if you've got a nice horizon you might still get the zodiacal light as well sort of thing so that's worth looking out for at the moment especially as it extends through the pleiades because the pleiades star cluster uh we're in the last stages we'll lose it shortly after this. So this is your last chance really, I think, to get the Pleiades. And they are actually, it forms a line with, it goes the Pleiades, M45, Venus, Crescent Moon, and Mars. So you've actually got quite a line up then. If you have the zodiacal lighting, gosh, we've got a lot going on in the evening sky.
0: For those of you who don't know the zodiacal light is the light from I believe the solar system uh it's dust within the solar system that is gets reflected sunlight and you can sometimes see it uh shooting up over the horizon um it does I believe you need quite a dark sky to be able to see it but if you are out in the dark anyway keep an eye out you might be able to catch it
1: Yes, it's a cone of light, and it follows the ecliptic, which is why we know it's uh, the fine dust in the inner solar system scattering the light. So uh, I've only seen it a few times, to be fair, and you have to get away from light pollution. There's no doubt about it. First time I ever thought I saw it, I was actually looking towards Horncastle, (laughs) and it was the light pollution from Horncastle. So it's just one of those things, isn't it? So, yeah, good dark horizon, so there's nothing in the way, no light pollution to fool you as such. But it, it does follow the ecliptics, and that's part of the clue. So, yeah, we've got... We've got sort of Venus, the Moon. We've got Mars. Uh, we've got the Pleiades as well, all in the evening sky. I'm looking around about half past nine, sort of thing. Start to leave it any later, and you'll start to lose the Pleiades. But of course, the sky will get darker as well. Um, but the Moon is interesting because you've actually got the Moon uh, sort of like as a quite thick crescent. And I was I was looking at that, and I was thinking, well, actually, it's halfway between new and half phase. So surely we should be calling it quarter phase Moon. <laughs> Just to confuse this sort of thing with the normal quarter moon sort of thing, which is, of course, quarter way
0: around the orbit. I am quite glad that they haven't gone for that naming convention because astronomers, they don't always give things the best names. For instance, the quarter moon is when it's half full. Yes. Um, and then I think having another thing where it's the quarter phase would be even more confusing, and I don't think I can handle that.
1: <laughs> yes, so better not encourage that to get started. But it does mean we get a good view of the uh, Mare Crisium, the Sea of Crises, uh, actually, on the Moon. And I, it always tickles me. So Mare Tranquility is, is just coming into view as well, and Fecunditatis is well displayed. It's Both it and Crisium are really well displayed. But it always tickles me that there's a crater called Picard, in Mare crisium and it's actually quite well seen you, you know it's quite an easy one to see um but it's not that picard it's not jean-luc picard from a certain tv franchise um no this but it is jean picard and he was actually a french astronomer and geodesist in the paris observatory in the 17th century so uh, you know i had to I, I have to admit i had to look up geodesist <laughs> sort of thing. but it's somebody who measures the earth sort of thing you know uh, from observations and gets her uh, positions and coordinates from that so i thought that was quite fascinating but uh, it's a nice crater so you've got this huge great mare sort of thing but you've also got this nice crater in it there are all the craters as well we should say there are other craters in mare crisium and on the moon but it's worth having a look at because this one stands out in this particular phase. You've got some nice shadows forming from it as well. So that's the moon then. Now, that's on the 24th. So, you know, quite a lot happening on the 24th it, to get started. On the 25th and 26th, what we find is the moon's up. We, we always follow the moon, don't we? Because the moon, you know, that's where we get month from. It goes round us, so every month... We're going to have events featuring the moon. And this is no exception because on the 25th and 26th, on the 25th, it's to the right of Mars. So you shouldn't have trouble identifying Mars really, but it is fading now. So it is beginning to look more like some of the regular stars around it. The only difference is that it is slightly orangish, ish But um, Betelgeuse is still up, so you've got the two to compare them. But to give you a guide to it, you've got the Moon on the 25th to its right, and it's still quite a thick crescent as well. So uh, so you'll be able to pick out Mars, but telescopically it's quite small now. I tried imaging it just the other week, and it was so tiny and whatnot, I just thought, it's a blob.
0: <laughs> <laughs> sometimes, Sometimes the planets are just blobs. Um, in the night sky but that doesn't mean you can't you know try and pick them out with the the naked eye and, and have a good look at them
1: Exactly. I mean, the fact that it shows a disk, there is a disk there, shows you haven't got a star that's out of focus. You've got an actual disk itself, so that was good. So uh, the 26th, though, the next night, the Moon is trying to form a bit of a line-up with Castor and Pollux in Gemini. So it's a slightly curved line. And I always think it's a bit of a triangle also with Kappa from Pollux and Kappa Geminorum as well. So uh, as it happens, um, with Mars going through uh, the centre of uh, Gemini at this particular time, On the 25th, it should be noted, it's right next to 48 Geminorum, so it's got a star right next to it. Now Mars is magnitude 1.3, the star is a lot fainter, it's magnitude 5.8, so there's quite a difference there, so you can't confuse them, and there'll be a colour difference as well. And you can see this easily with the binoculars. You know, technically, it's a naked eye star as well, 5.8 magnitude. But, uh, you know, but again, you don't want to have much light pollution. And you've also got natural light pollution because we've got the moon coming in, haven't we? Growing in phase sort of thing. So that's always a... I mean, you either love the moon or you hate it. You know, you either you hate you it if you're a deep sky observer sort of thing, you know, or you love it if you're a lunar observer. I, I tend to fall between the two a little bit, but I must admit I am more of a deep sky observer myself sort of thing.
0: I think <laughs> you just have to learn to 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 flip flop throughout the month you know two weeks you're a lunar observer and then one week you're a deep sky observer and that's how you're going to go go through i think that's probably a good approach to take it is <laughs> might require getting some different equipment to use throughout the month but well fun enough i was, I was going to mention that because you know if you're an astro
1: imager once upon a time the, when the moon was up that was it you stopped but now we've got so many different filters that can cut through the moonlight, um, you know, especially the uh, mission line one sort of thing, you know, oxygen and silicon, things like that. Astro Images now can near enough image throughout the entire uh, month without worrying about the moon. And I think that is absolutely amazing. But it does mean, when do you sleep? <laughs> <laughs> During the day, hang on, you could be a solar observer. (laughs) (laughs) And, of course, the sun is actually getting quite active. So, you know, I mean, we have had some recent auroras during March. And, you know, aurora season isn't quite... In fact, I've seen aurora in July, you know. I mean, I've only seen it twice but, you know, if it's a really good storm, you can actually have the aurora during the summer months as well. So, you know, always keep a lookout. You never know if there's a big storm. We are, they think now there's a prediction that the uh, solar cycle might peak towards the end of 2023, 2024. So that'll be exciting. So, you know, we might still have some aurora. So it's worth keeping a lookout. Just in case, never, never say it's just a season sort of you know, just lingering around sort of
0: March and April,
1: you know, worth thinking about it for the rest of the year as well.
0: I was going to say, if there is anybody out there who is thinking about possibly doing some aurora hunting, uh, you might want to move your plans up a bit. If you are planning on going next year or the year after, people think the peak might happen this year. Um, it might just be that we're in a really active solar cycle and it will keep going on. If you haven't planned that once in a lifetime trip, which I, I've i managed to go aurora hunting and had success, and I really do recommend it if you can.
1: It is I mean it's it is a, a sight to behold. Um, I must admit, sort of thing. Um I, I'm, I have a toss-up between the aurora and noctilucent clouds. When it's aurora scene, I'm really excited to get a bright aurora. And of course, unfortunately, I was ill and we had cloud when we had the really bright one mm. in March. Isn't that typical? Yeah. Isn't that typical? I can't complain because I, I did do the uh, Northern Lights flights for many years sort of thing. So I got some absolutely hung dinger of a, some displays. But I have seen some great ones from the ground as well. But have to say sort of thing. Now we're heading... When, when we get into the summer, my allegiance is switched. You know, I start saying, Oh yeah, noctilucent clouds—they're brilliant, you (laughs) know. And then when they that season finishes, and we get the aurora and get a good aurora, oh yeah, well, aurora for me. So uh, I'm definitely a flip flopper, aren't I? (laughs) Yeah.
0: And if you are interested in finding out a bit more about Noctilucent Clouds, then I suggest you pick up the May copy of BBC Sky at Night magazine, where we have a feature all about it in there. And also, if you are interested in hunting aurora or Noctilucent Clouds, then go to our website, skyatnightmagazine.com. We have lots of guides on there. I'll put a couple in the show notes below as well.
1: Exactly, we we cover it every year, sort of, because it, 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 it's there's just such an amazing experience to see them. And I I do know people have gone to Iceland and and, and Norway to see them and um, been clouded out. <laughs> and and I know that really big one. Sort of, there was some friends of mine had gone to Norway and uh, didn't get anything, <laughs> and were rather cheesed off, shall we say, <laughs> to find out we'd had a great display in the UK. <laughs> Guess it's an ironic twist, isn't it, sort of thing. So you can be up there and actually miss them because the the rural oval has moved south and whatnot. Otherwise, we wouldn't be able to see it in the UK. But, uh, you know, it's just one of those things, you know. I mean, you have to take it and leave it. Anyhow, continuing, we're looking to the next night, April 27th. We're following the moon now. We're not quite at half phase. It's just about, it's borderline. Catching it directly at half phase is a bit of an art because sometimes it can occur when the moon's below the horizon for us. But it'll be directly above the, the beehive, Cluster. This is Messier 44 in Cancer, so the half-phase Moon. Now, the light from the Moon will diminish some of the cluster members. You've got to bear that in mind. And then on the 28th, we switch. I know it's the morning sky. I know it's 4.30 in the morning, but Saturn is getting back into the sky now you do need a good Mm -hmm. uncluttered sort of east southeast horizon to be fair um, which is that I have a disadvantage there I have an industrial estate and and a big we call it a bund. it's a a big sort of a a mound that hides us from the industrial estate and got lots of shrubs all over it trouble is as those have grown up it's hidden more and more of that horizon for me which is a great shame but Saturn is now emerging back into view so you'll be able to check out the rings so you have to look around about 4.30 in the morning. So, you know, if, you, if you're if you an early morning riser, you know, a lot of people are. They've got work in the morning sort of thing very early. So look out for that. I say in the east, southeast sort of thing. So now that Saturn's creeping out of the glare of the sun. So that was on the 28th sort of thing and, and from then on really sort of thing with Saturn. But on the 29th, the moon continues in its journey around and it's directly above and forms a bit of a triangle with Regulus and Eta Leonis as well. So, but I always find this—it's also almost on a line. It's a bit of a curve with Algebra and Regulus as well. So, Regulus and Algebra are both double stars. So, this is a time when you can use the moon to guide you on. To good double stars aren't spoiled by the moonlight. That's the good thing about them. Whereas deep sky objects like galaxies and nebulae are, are swamped by the moonlight. But double mm. stars are all right. So uh, here we are. So Gamma. Leonis algebra on close inspection is a closer double with two yellow orange stars one slightly brighter than the other one at magnitude 2.2 and one at 3.6 magnitude as well so you know this is a nice time to catch up on these double stars when the moon is actually quite close to them and then to finish off this week uh certainly from my part we've got to iris seven iris it is an asteroid it is actually quite faint but it reaches opposition uh, on the 30th of April. It'll be low down. It's just on the border of Virgo and Libra. But because it's reached its opposition, it's now visible technically all night because it rises as the sun sets and sets as the sun rises. But it is faint. It's magnitude 9.6. So I would allow at least, wait until about 11 o'clock onwards. Let it get well above the horizon before you try. But you will need, I think, in this case, a telescope to actually hunt it down. So that'll give you another planetary body to find because... We have got a scarcity of planets at the moment. We've really only got Venus and Mars in the evening sky, Saturn in the morning, and then this this very meagre uh, minor planet uh, coming to opposition. We'll have to wait a, a, a few weeks, but we will have some come back. Sadly, we've lost Mercury. Of course, we've just lost Mercury. Ah, uh-huh. we've just lost it. It's just one of those things, but it will be back at some stage.
0: It does sort of feel like Venus is doing all of the work at the moment. (laughs) You know, Venus, it's it's a bright, I think it's about minus four um, this week. It's around about that point. Um, And, you know, very much the brightest thing in the night sky after the moon. And then there might be some other ones, maybe. (laughs) Yeah, it's almost like it's screaming out, Look at me, look at me, don't look at anybody else, look at me. (laughs) But it is,
1: I mean, that's why it's got the morning and evening star moniker. And of course, at the moment, it's the evening star. So it dominates in the night sky. And it's the first thing people see uh, as soon as Mm. the sky gets dark. So, uh, well, well, trouble is, it's always a bit featureless that you have to really look carefully enough, specialized filters to really bring out the subtle clouds actually on Venus sort of thing. But I like just looking at the crescent. I like the the phase, you know, sort of thing. It's it's a gibber's phase at the moment, but uh, it will eventually, later in the summer, turn into a quite large crescent.
0: So to summarise what you can see this week, we start off on the 24th of April, where Venus, Mars, the Moon and the Pleiades will all be lined up on the night sky. Then on the 25th and the 26th, Mars will be in Gemini. The 27th, the moon will be near to the Beehive Cluster. On the 28th, Saturn will be making its way into the morning sky. The 29th is a great chance to see some double stars in Leo. And finally, finishing up the week on the 30th is the opposition of the minor planet Iris. So there certainly sounds like there is a lot of things to see throughout the week. If you'd like to find out what's going to be in the night sky next week and all the weeks after, do be sure to subscribe to the podcast. And thank you very much, Paul, for taking us through all of that. It's
1: a pleasure and look forward to doing next week.
0: And we hope to see you here next week as well. Goodbye. If you want to find out even more spectacular sights that will be gracing the night sky throughout the month, be sure to pick up a copy of BBC Sky at Night magazine, where we have a 16-page pullout sky guide with a full overview of everything worth looking up for. Whether you like to look at the moon, the planets, or the deep sky, whether you use binoculars, telescopes, or neither, our sky guide has got you covered with the detailed star charts to help you track your way across the night sky. From all of us here at BBC Sky at Night magazine, goodbye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Star Diary podcast from the makers of BBC Sky at Night magazine. For more of our podcasts, visit our website at skyatnightmagazine.com or head to Acast, iTunes or Spotify.